Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 286 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Escaping Toxicity, an interview with Dina Benedetto. My name is Kelsey Watkins. And I'm Richard Johannesson. We interviewed Dina Benedetto from Long Island. She explains how she pursued her dream job in the beauty industry, where she quickly discovered the chemicals associated with that profession caused her toxic bucket to overflow. In this episode, she explains how she had to reduce her toxic load to begin to heal. Without further ado, Dina Benedetto. Hello, Dina Benedetto, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hi, I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to have you. And, you know, we generally give trigger alerts to everyone when we have too many Long Islanders on a podcast. So we should let folks know that you're from Long Island, right? Yes, I am. So uh, and uh, the good news is, folks, we do have someone who speaks English properly. We have Kelsey Watkins on the podcast today as my special uh, guest co-host. So Kelsey, say hi to the folks. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. So Kelsey, why don't you start by uh, taking Dina through the early stages of her experience here as a native Long Islander? Yeah, absolutely. So Dina, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, Where did you grow up? Where are you currently living now? And what do you do for a living? Okay, so I grew up out east. Um, I went to Longwood High School. I lived in a extremely wooded area, uh, golf course, the whole nine. Um, No education whatsoever as far as the threat around me in the grass. But um, yeah, I grew up, I played lacrosse seven years in high school. I was living and working in Manhattan after I graduated college, traveling back and forth every day. I became a licensed esthetician and professional makeup artist. And it was my dream. It was my dream to mostly bridal makeup, just to be with somebody on the most important day of their life and be able to provide them a service that's, you know, really what makes the whole day. As much as everybody says, you know, it's about the food and it's about the music, it's not. It's about the way the bride looks. <laughs> right, so let's, so let's go back a little bit. Um, you grew up in a tick endemic area. Were like, you aware of ticks at all growing up? Or thought about nope. them at all? Nope. I found them on my dog multiple times, but again, no education on it whatsoever. So you were aware of a tick in a sense where you knew that it attached to you, it sucked blood from you, but you didn't know the ramifications of what it could do. I did not know they carried diseases. No, nor did I know anybody else that had Lyme or any tick-borne illness. Were your parents aware at all or any teachers or coaches? Nobody. Wow. Um, so, you know, you touched on this a little bit, you know, as far as what you do for a living, but, um, you know, did you have any like dreams and goals while you were growing up? Did you always want to be a makeup artist? Did you aspire to to be? Yeah. I always wanted to be in the beauty industry Mm -hmm. dealing with cosmetics and uh, it's when I started out, it was so big. I started out with Giorgio Armani and I worked with a lot of chemicals, unfortunately, Because Mm -hmm. when you're working with beauty products and you're doing four or five facials a day, all those chemicals are going into your system. Right. I wasn't educated or even aware what chemicals could do to your body. Mm. So ultimately, when did your initial symptoms start? So basically, I went through my two pregnancies, no problem. I had my boys. I went through a divorce, no issues. I was working as a single mom. I had moved out east 
into Comac. Um, and I was running my own salon, doing amazing. I got a stomach virus, one of the worst stomach viruses I've ever had in my life. And I never got better. My boys got it. Friends got it. My boyfriend at the time got it. They all got better. And I never did. So looking back, I think that's what brought Lyme out in me. I think I had it dormant for years and years. Because don't forget, I played on a lacrosse field when I was a teenager in Longwood. <laughs> I could have been bit then. I never found a tick bite. I never found a tick. I don't know when I was bit. I just know after that virus, everything went downhill health-wise for me. I would so could you go into depth about that a little bit more? Yeah. Like, was there, so you got the stomach virus and you that said it never virus. ended for you, but never ended. was it an onset of chronic fatigue? Was it headaches? Yep. It was chronic fatigue. It was anxiety that I could not get a hold of. And when I tell you anxiety, it was like panic attacks, mm -hmm. straight up panic attacks. I've never experienced it in my life. Uh, neck pain, muscle pain. And I attributed it to, I was even going to the doctor complaining, you know, everyone said, oh, you're a single mom. It's stress. You work so hard. You know, that's all they kept telling me. It's all from stress. It's all from stress. So I kind of let it go and it got worse and worse to the point where I would be going to do makeup and I couldn't work my hands. Like my hands just were so swollen. They wouldn't work. And I said, something is not right. Something is not right. I have no energy. And when I tell you I spent days in bed, I spent days in bed. It was the most horrible thing I've ever gone through. I went to the doctor, my PA in Wading River. At the time, Dr. Ruggiero owned the practice. And they were, they were a tick-finding practice in a way. Like Dr. Ruggiero, he... Um, he based his practice really on treating tick-borne illnesses, I guess because of the area he was in, Wading River. So when I got tested, I was getting tested for rheumatoid arthritis. I thought, I have arthritis from the years of doing facials and makeup and working with my hands. It's got to be it. Took, they did all the blood work at Ruggiero's office. My doctor called me back on a Saturday morning. I'll never forget it. And she said, you did not come up positive for rheumatoid arthritis. She said, but Dina, you have Lyme disease and you have it really bad. Okay. In other so words, I five bands of it that came up. Okay. So let's stop right there and go back a little bit. So you got the stomach virus, mm -hmm. you st started having these whirlwind of symptoms come on pretty mm -hmm. rapidly. I mean, yeah. how long would you say? I would say it was about- span was? Okay. Uh, got sick Memorial Day weekend with the stomach virus. So in July, I was diagnosed end of July. Okay. So that's so not, what, a, not very a, long at all. No. Like I said, I just never got better from that virus. Right. And so during that time, how many doctors did you see? Well, I saw the first doctor that diagnosed me, which was Dr. Ruggiero. Mm -hmm. And he kind of said, okay, you have 30 days of doxycycline and then that's it. You're on your own pretty much. So I did the doc. I got so incredibly sick when I started the medication. So sick that I could barely even care for my kids. 
I couldn't get up in the morning. I couldn't function in the morning. I couldn't walk them to the bus stop. This was during treatment, you know, a week into taking doxycycline. Um, I remember I would leave little cups of milk in the fridge with cereal so that when the boys got up, they would make themselves a bowl of cereal before school. That's how sick I was. I could not even, even think about making breakfast, let alone physically doing it. Um, so after the 30 days of doxycycline, they put me on, I was still coming up positive for Lyme. Now I came up for Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So that was about two months after my diagnosis. So now she tells me Epstein-Barr virus, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and the Lyme has still not gone away. It's still acute, meaning I had acute and chronic Lyme. At that moment, it was still acute. So I still needed to be treated. The doxy was doing a number on me. So she switched me over to amoxicillin for three months. During that three months, I saw two infectious disease doctors, one at Stony Brook, one out east in Riverhead. I went and saw a medical holistic practitioner who a friend of mine in the business who also had Lyme was seeing. Um, he was so expensive. <laughs> I probably spent about 10 grand in a matter of six months just getting supplements and testing. I mean, he would charge me $20 just to lay on a mat, one of those bio mats to uh, decrease inflammation and all that stuff. Um, nothing was helping. Everything was making me sicker and sicker and sicker. And I could not convey to the people around me what was wrong. Nobody could understand it because I looked fine. And some days I could be fine. Other days I didn't have the ability to even speak or, you know, put a sentence together. So then came all the scrutiny about my mental health. And as a single mother, the last thing you want is to be scrutinized for your mental health. You're a single mom. You have to make sure you look like you can handle this. And here or, I was. Or Dina, you were concerned about what? Losing custody of your children? 100%, 100%. Even my own family couldn't understand what I was going through. My mother, still to this day, doesn't get it. She just doesn't get it. So let's let's pause there for a second, Dina. Let's let's talk about you know Long Island, right? We're we're Long Islanders, and and uh, and uh, Lyme disease, although it is named after the observations that were made uh, by mothers and a doctor at Yale University in um, in. Uh, Lyme, Connecticut, right? They, they, they observed the cluster. They didn't know it was causing the disease until a doctor from Stony Brook University, Dr. Banash, mm -hmm. the hospital you had gone to with, for the infectious disease doctor, went out east to, um, to Shelter Island uh, on Eastern Long Island, and he did a tick drag, and he brought back ticks, and he noticed something inside the tick that was strange, sent that to the Rocky Mountain uh, lab, and Dr. Willie Bergdorfer looked at the tick and found the bacteria, which we now know as Lyme disease, right? So we're actually from the place where Lyme disease, the bacteria itself was discovered. You would think, Dina, all these years later, and that happened when I was a young child. In the 70s, right? Yeah. Right. You would think in the late 70s and early 80s, you would think by now someone, you know, 
at your age, uh, you know, in the community where you're living, that you would be treated more competently than you were, right? So you go to your primary care physician, and when you go to your primary care physician, a doctor who is holding himself out as somebody who is, uh, you know, is um, a, tick, uh, a limelight or a doctor, he gives you 30 days of doxy and he sends you on your way, right? That was it. Yeah. Yeah. They gave me um, referrals to a neurologist. I was having a lot of nerve issues. Um, I think it spread so far, it went into my spinal fluid. And I now have, I'm diagnosed with chronic neurological Lyme disease. So with, for me, it's in my brain. Right. Uh, so but let's, let's pause there for a second again, Dina. So when you go to your primary care physician, this tick doctor, mm-hmm. right, who was actually, you know, within walking distance of my house, yeah. uh, did the tick doctor tell you there was a difference between acute Lyme disease and chronic Lyme disease, yes. and that you should be very careful to make sure you're taking appropriate steps to prevent this disease from becoming an acute disease and ultimately becoming a chronic disease? Right. Um, no, because we, I didn't know when I was bit and that was the issue. So they didn't know how long the bacteria and the infections were in my body. Uh, they just kept throwing meds at me, antibiotics. That's all they knew how to do. And giving me referrals to a neurologist, to an infectious disease. Um, I went and saw an infectious disease doctor in Riverhead who must've been in his eighties. And he said, although my Western blot was positive, I wasn't coming up for Lyme disease. Okay. Yeah. But let, let's stay there for another second. So I, I want to sort of unpack some of what you were, you were going over with Kelsey. And that is um, where you were physically and emotionally at the time that you had gotten sick. Right. So you, your, your argument during, during the conversation you had with, with Kelsey, I don't mean argument that you were being argumentative, right, right. but the way you yeah. were, you were, you were, um, you were sharing your experience was that, your, your entire family had gotten sick from, uh, from some kind of a virus mm-hmm. and they all recovered and you did, right? Correct. But you know, what I was hearing as Kelsey was very powerfully bringing you through that portion of your, of your story was, uh, was you, I, I was watching this train running into a wall, right? Where you have, you have this, this woman who is not only living in the general toxic environment that we're all living in, right? And we're, we're swimming in toxic soup, you're, you're, you're underwater with toxicity, you know, with all of these different chemicals that you have, you know, you're using and you're touching and you're breathing and you're absorbing. Right. So, so you're, you're, you're becoming more and more immunocompromised because your immune system is being overwhelmed by all these toxins that you're, that you're using. Right. On the daily. Yeah. you're, You're now going through this really stressful experience of a divorce. Right. Where, where you have fears about whether or not you're going to be financially stable, you mm-hmm. have concerns about whether or not you're going to be able to mother your boys the way you want to, you, you have concerns about whether or not you're going to be able to parent them at all as the, as the, as the primary custodial parent, right? Yep. So you have all of those stress. Worried about if they have it too, because I didn't know when I was bit. So, so, but this is even, this is even before you've been, before you said, so you're just getting sicker and you're getting sicker, yeah, right? Exactly. And now you have, now you have, now you have this, this experience where you have a virus and you don't come back from it, right? And what we generally call that, you know, we, we use the Dr. Bill Rawls description of the pot boiling over where it isn't actually the virus that triggers the Lyme disease. 
is the virus that overwhelms your immune system because right. your immune system was overwhelmed with all of the toxicity that we have just by living life. You have even more toxicity because you are, you are uh, dealing yeah. with all these chemicals industry. all day long. Yep. You, yep. you have this really stressful life and all these stressful experiences, mm -hmm. which of course becomes triggering when everybody's saying that's what that's what made you sick. And quite frankly, Dina, it is a part of what made you sick. It's not it what is. made you it sick, is. it is part of what made you sick. Yeah. And now you have this virus and now you crash, right? Now, unfortunately, as you're crashing and you're getting sicker and you're getting sicker and you're getting sicker, now you have other concerns. Now your emotional stress is even greater because you're concerned about whether you're gonna lose custody of your kids. You have other stresses because you're not sure you're going to be able to work and be able to continue to support your family. And, right. and, and, and it just, it just keeps, you keep boiling down. So does it, does it ultimately become chronic? Of course it does, because what chronic illness means is your immune system is overwhelmed. Yeah. It's not working. It's yeah. not keeping you healthy anymore. And the microbes are now taking control of your body and you're trying to get a competent doctor to help you in the most Lyme endemic place in the world. Oh. And you can't find them. Nope. And here's what's also interesting. About six months after I was diagnosed by Ruggiero, he moved to Florida, just picked up and left. And Stony Brook, I'm sorry, Northwell took over my practice and the tests changed because all of a sudden my blood work was coming up clean as a whistle. And I was so sick. How could this be? How could this be? Lower that a little, honey. I, I The test last time, and they were two different tests. When Northwell took over, they changed the testing. Even my PA said, yeah, the testing is different. Dr. Ruggiero was chased out of Long Island. I, I, I said it. I don't care. But he was. Because they were. he was treating. He was acknowledging chronic Lyme. And they didn't want that. The insurance companies did not want to pay for chronic Lyme. They wanted to pay for acute Lyme. That's it. There is no chronic Lyme. There is no such thing. You, you know, take Doxy, you're fine. Dean, again, another, another, and again, I'm sure he was chased out of Long Island because we have, we have um, a long history of chasing out competent doctors, right? Uh, Joseph Uroscano, who was one of the Lyme pioneers, who we interviewed on this podcast, who was one of the first doctors successfully treating people with chronic Lyme disease, was ultimately, was ultimately forced out of practicing medicine. That's what Dr. Alan McDonald, who is one of the top pathologists in the world, is now in Florida. And the reason he's in Florida is because of the way he was treated here on Long Island. I recently had a client who's, uh, who was bitten by a tick and, and the tick was attached for several days. And when we were looking for a Lyme literate doctor here on Long Island, we couldn't find one. When we went to ILADS and we, and we put, we put um, into the ILADS um, uh, search uh, parameter for a for a Lyme literate doctor who had been who had been trained by lads. We had to go to Connecticut or New Jersey to find a Lyme yeah. literate doctor or upstate New York. There were none here on Long Island, right? So none. we have a we have a we have a strong and 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 unfortunately sordid history of chasing Lyme literate doctors off of Long Island. Yeah. So of course you could your 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 Lyme literate doctor is now gone. You now go to Stony Brook University, right? which has a special Lyme disease test, right? So talk to us about what happened when you went to Stony Brook. Oh, I met with the infectious disease doctor there. She did the same thing. All the testing came back. And I was again in, with the in the room with my mother. And she said, you're fine. Nothing's coming up. You're fine. I said, what do you mean I'm fine? I am so sick. Like, can't you see how sick I am? Nothing's coming up on the blood work. So you're fine. 
And that's all my mother needed to hear. So talk to us about that, right? Because the, the you know, Lyme disease is not just a physical disease. It's also a social disease, right? Oh and God. it's yeah. very, very difficult to be successful on a healing journey if we're isolated and we're not given help, especially when we're as sick as you were. So how did that affect your relationship with your mother? So first of all, I'm a very social person to begin with. I mean, I am in an industry where I talk to clients all day. I love talking to people. I love being around groups of people. And now all of a sudden I have this social anxiety where I'm in a room full of people and I got to bounce because I can't handle it. Where the hell did that come from? I don't know how that happened. It still affects me to this day, but I went from somebody being the life of the party a little bit, funny, always making people laugh, to now counting down the minutes until I can leave. My mother seeing the difference, my family seeing the difference in that, definitely seeing the more mental, not so much physical, because don't forget, they didn't live with me, so they didn't see the day-to-day physicality of me struggling with pain and fatigue and all they saw was how I was reacting mentally to their ignorance. So, so then let's pause there for a second. So you were somebody who was an extrovert, right? You would yes. thrive on being around other people. You would thrive and you would, you would, you would actually get energy from being around yes. other people. Yes. Then you became Won awards in school. <laughs> then you became an introvert, right? You went from being, from thriving when you were in groups mm-hmm. to now being, anxious and in pain and suffering in your groups. Talk to us about the difference between the two and what it was like now to, you you said you had to bounce, but I need to know more about it. Like, why did you have to bounce? What were you feeling? What was it, what was happening? Feeling that I would get, that I couldn't, I can't describe it even to this day. It's almost like there's too much energy around. I mean, I'm an empathetic person to begin with, but I almost can't handle I can't handle the anxiety of talking to more than one person at a time. Maybe that's it. It's, it's the other conversations going on around me because I have very bad sound sensitivity now, again, from my nerves, that when someone is having a conversation with me one-on-one, if a person is talking behind me, I can't, it's like, I can't focus. And I the person and be like, can you stop talking so that I can listen to this person? And when you're in a group of people, especially Italian family, where they're having 92 communications over the kitchen table, I got to bounce because I can't handle it. I, in my, I mentally can't handle it. I can't follow conversations, um, especially family members that talk a lot and they, I can't even follow what they're saying. I just, my focus is not there. I say it's like a gnat, the attention span of a gnat. I'm Good if it's one-on-one like this in a setting where there's no sounds going on. But if I were to have somebody coming in and talking next to me right now, I wouldn't be able to focus even speaking to you. That's what Lyme has done to my brain. I have not, I can't multitask and I can't think straight to have a conversation. And the sound sensitivity is not even normal. Yeah, Gina, I think what you're what you're explaining is what a lot of us deal with. It's it's overstimulation. Overstimulation. Our brains just cannot handle taking in multiple things at once. And I think you know, as a mom, like I am, yeah. with children running around that want to have their TVs on and making oh, all this time. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. And it's I can't drive with them on the iPad. Like if they're in the back seat and they have the iPads playing. I'm like screaming, shut it off. Cause I can't drive or even think where I'm going. 
because of the sound sensitivity. And I'm somebody that could be in a huge salon full of 20 something girls and have a ball, talk to everybody, have a relationship with everybody. Now I am such an introvert. I don't engage with any other girls. I don't even want them to come up and talk to me. And I can't handle the blow dryer going at the same time when I'm having a conversation. I can't, I can't articulate a conversation with a blow dryer going on behind me or another conversation that I can't explain. Yeah. The the multitasking is, is hard. I I definitely understand that 100%. So Dina, you know, I've had conversations with Matt and Rich before in regards to being a mother with Lyme disease, because our journeys are a lot different than someone who doesn't have kids um, because we really, we don't ever get to rest. No. Never um, ends. We always have that responsibility of keeping our children happy and fed and alive. Yeah. So, you know, how has this experience with Lyme? Um, um, well, we starts with the diet too. Um, I had to change my whole diet around. Right. But how, how has it affected your relationship with your kids and how you parent? To be honest, I have to say Lyme had a positive Um effect on me and my boys. They are very empathetic because of what they've seen their mom go through. They are very independent because they had no choice but to be during the time when I was bedridden for an entire year. They had to be independent. They had to do for themselves. Um, they were, take you, it- were you open with your kids? Oh yeah. About what was going on or did you keep it a little more sheltered? Uh, no, they knew everything. Yeah. They knew everything. I think, I think that's the best way to do things. I think honesty with your kids is best because you can really help them to understand why things are happening. Right. And how they can do things to help themselves or to help you. And right. Just like you, I feel the same exact way. I think Lyme has had such a positive impact on the way that I parent because my kids are so empathetic towards others now because of what they've seen me go through. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And they've become little advocates for me as well um, with the rest of the family that doesn't really understand. Okay. To understand. <laughs> well, that's good because, you know, your kids are with you on a daily basis. So they see yeah. how it affects you. They know my limitations. Um, uh, they know when I go hard one day and I'm running around the next day, I say, mommy's in pain today. I can't do anything. We're going to have to, how old are they now? Now they are 11 and 10. Okay. So they're, you know, a little bit older and can understand and help out for you, you know? Um, and I know you made a comment about your relationship with your mother. How has this affected your relationship with your mother as well? It's horrible. It's affected my relationship with my entire family, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in what ways? They don't understand. Not only do they not understand, um, it's more of an ignorance, I think. They are, I don't want to blame it on the Italian thing, but in my family, being Italian, I also come from a lot of military descendants. Uh, my grandfather was a Navy SEAL. My uncle's in the army. My cousin went into the military. So there's this aura of my family where you can't have anything wrong with you. Does that make sense? Like just push through it. You're 
perfect. Yes. Just push through it. You'll be fine. Um, there's nothing wrong with you. And that's been the hardest thing because I can't make it to some events because I am so sick and my parents and my family, they don't understand. Why can't you just come? Why can't you just do this? Why can't you just get a job? Why can't you just work? And I, I could tell them till I'm blue in the face about the pain I go through and the mental um, impairment, the disability, but they choose, they choose not to educate themselves. Yeah, there definitely, you know, there has to be an open door there for communication. Yeah. And often I've heard people with Lyme say, oh, well, if so-and-so could just live in my body for one day, then they'd get it. And yep. my response to that is, yeah, they may get the symptoms that you're, you know, experiencing that day or whatever, but I think the, the struggle part yeah. is the chronic part of this struggle. every yep. single day yep. for months, years on end yep. is what weighs on you mentally. And, you know, if someone were to experience, you know, what you deal with for a day, I don't, they wouldn't get the whole, no. Thing. She doesn't get it. I mean, we went to Florida this past um, break mm -hmm. and she booked three days in Universal Studios, three parks in three days, just me, my mom and the boys. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, do you really think I can walk three parks in three days? I mean, I did it, but it was it was beyond torture. And then I get an attitude for complaining. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's just the, it's the ignorance of it. It's yeah. And you do it because you don't want to miss out on that experience with your kids. And I understand that fully. There were multiple things that I missed out on with my kids and family events and stuff like that until I finally realized, mm -hmm. you know, if I want to go to the zoo with my kids, I might have to use a wheelchair and that's okay. But that means I'm not missing out. Right. I'm still there. I'm still present. Yeah but I just may have to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. I struggle. Yes. I, I, I love my mother to death. I really do. And she's really my only ally, but this is so difficult to live like this and not be understood. And I think it's because the two infectious disease doctors that she came with me to see said I was fine. That's all she needed to hear. Um, she's of the mind where doctors know everything. You know, those people that just think doctors know everything and they are right. If the doctor says this, this is what it is. So, Dina, but that really is, that really is cultural, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, I listened to a podcast uh, recently with uh, an Indian American and he said uh, where, he, where he comes from, um, his family always believed that the path to a middle class life was either be, by becoming a doctor or a lawyer. So uh, his parents used to say, you're either a doctor, a lawyer, or a loser, right? And I was thinking, wow, that sounds very much like my Italian family where, you know, my mother was very aggressively advocating for us to go to either medical school or, or law school. And all three of us did, but, you know, she had so much respect for lawyers and so much respect for doctors. And that was sort of built into us. And unfortunately, the problem with having too much respect for a particular profession is now they become gospel. Right. And that's that's what you're facing now. You come from a yeah. traditional Italian-American family mm -hmm. and Italians really value doctors. Right. They Very really good. respect yeah. doctors. Yep. And when that doctor and said, lawyers. and lawyers. And when that doctor said, yep. Dina, 
There's nothing wrong with you. He screwed your relationship with your mother. He really did. He really did. Yeah. So I felt like I was, it was me against the world after that. So let's, let's talk uh, a little bit more about what else was happening, right? So you go to Stony Brook University, you, you, you have your bad experience at Stony Brook, you're, you're, the doctor you think is Lyme literate gets, gets uh, rushed off to, uh, to the uh, great South of Florida. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, and now you're, you're seeing a doctor in Riverhead, who's an older doctor, and you would think, all right, the doctor Riverhead, for, you know, again, we have an international community of listeners, you're going right. further out east and getting much closer to where the Lyme bacteria had been discovered in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, mm-hmm. You would expect that the doctor in Riverhead would see tens of thousands of people with Lyme disease. And how does this doctor treat you? Uh, same way. He says my Western blot is positive, but my blood work was not coming up for Lyme disease or anything of that nature. So he so said, did that, did that doctor tell you that the, first of all, the Western blot and the ELISA are, are not reliable tests that they're, nope. they're actually, they're actually giving you false negatives, false positives about 50% of the time. Any conversation about that? Nope. Did, did any of the doctors tell you there's additional testing? For example, there's a company in MyGenics in California that has a, a substantially more sensitive set of tests right. that you could take and get a better result. Was that ever put on your radar either by your nope. primary care physician, the doctors at Stony Brook, or now this doctor you're seeing at Eastern Riverhead? Nope. No. They went by the one test. He didn't offer any other testing. Um, I even offered a spinal tap. I was like, listen, I know it's going to be painful, but do it. See if it's in my spinal fluid. Nah, we don't have to do that. They do so, nothing for me. So what's happening now? So you, you've, you've taken your month of doxy, you've taken some amoxicillin, you've bounced from one specialist to another specialist. Right. What, 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 are, what are your I next started steps? the holistic route because now I'm in the community of Lyme. So now I'm on social media and I'm reading about it and I'm educating myself every single day. I'm following Lyme accounts. I got in with Global Lyme Alliance. I read Allie Hilfiger's book, Bite Me. I'm really learning. And I start to get a lot of knowledge regarding the conspiracies around it. Um, the Plum Island conspiracy, which I wholeheartedly believe because it's like black and white. It makes very, it makes sense that it came from there to the island where infected all the way out east. Um, and the doctors are paid not to it's not that they're paid, but they know better than to acknowledge chronic Lyme. Can you imagine how many people would need treatment if they acknowledged chronic Lyme? All right, so let's pause there for a second, right? So again, so we're on Long Island. Yeah. We're, we're, at the, we're in the birthplace of Lyme disease. We know Dr. Bioscano, who's one of the top Lyme disease doctors in the world, who actually works for Hygienics now, mm-hmm. uh, gets run out of his practice. We know the doctor, uh, Dr. McDonald, one of the top pathologists in the world, gets run out of his practice. Your Dr. Ruggiero is now, you know, Go. in more, more modern times run out. Why do you think that's, why do you think, so like impact do you think yeah. all of this is having on the doctors who are still practicing here, right? I mean, doctors are good people. They have caring hearts. They want to help, yeah. but of yeah. course they want to be able to earn a living too, right? And if they see everybody who's treating Lyme disease and acknowledging chronic Lyme disease, getting their asses kicked down to Florida or, or, or getting kicked out of practice, what do you think they're going to do? hundred percent. I believe it. I know. I know. But it's, it's, it's the lack of education out there that was so mind blowing to me because when I started to delve into Lyme disease and get in with you guys, and like I said, Global Lyme Alliance in the social media, 
I learned so much, so much to the point where I was able to figure out who in my family might've had it. Example, my grandfather who lived in Lake Point in Middle Island on a lake, 20 years. He had MS, they said. He didn't have MS. My grandfather was bit by a tick. And as he got older, he had to use a walker and then he was in a wheelchair. And it was not MS. He was misdiagnosed. And that's very common, Tina. I mean, there's been a lot of research that has recently indicated that one of the one of the largest misdiagnoses for Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease, is multiple sclerosis. It's very right. common. It's a very common misdiagnosis. And you're probably right that your grandfather had yeah. Lyme disease rather than multiple sclerosis. Although we don't know, and again, yeah. we're speculating, but but it's, but I believe it's when possible. you get a diagnosis, because I have a girl um, I work with in the salon who has MS. She had Lyme first. And then she has MS now and she's my age and she's already with the walker. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to witness. Like you said, your friend, Matt, that you watched deteriorate. I've kind of watched that happen to Katie. She was a young girl diagnosed with MS, working with chemicals every day as a hairstylist. And I just watched her deteriorate, go from, you know, being able to walk and run to now she has a walker. Now she has a cane. She falls I mean, she comes in with her face split open because she fell in front of the door onto the concrete. It's horrible. It's actually horrible. But the fact that she had Lyme first before her MS diagnosis makes me wonder that when she got that MS diagnosis and my grandfather got that MS diagnosis, do their brains make you that diagnosis? Maybe. That maybe makes so. sense? It does. It does. Well, let, let's say focus a little bit more on your, on your journey. So... So you, uh, what, where's, where's the next place you go to? So you said you, you're, you're now enmeshed in the Lyme disease community. Mm -hmm. You're now becoming mm -hmm. Lyme literate yourself, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you did share with Kelsey that you were Lyme illiterate. You grew up in a oh. tick endemic community. You learned nothing about ticks and tick diseases from your family. You learned nothing about ticks and tick diseases from your education at Longwood High School mm -hmm. or Longwood School District. You learned mm -hmm. nothing about ticks and tick diseases as an athlete, even though um, your athletic pursuits as a lacrosse player regularly put you in contact with, um, with um, places where you are going to get bitten by ticks. You had nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So you're now, you're now enmeshed in the social media community. You're learning about ticks mm -hmm. and Lyme disease. You're learning about, you know, the, the, uh, the challenges that you faced. What are you feeling about your culture and your, your cultural experiences and your athletic experience and your educational experiences where, which were essentially zero mm -hmm. um, when it comes to ticks and tick diseases? How am I feeling? I'm feeling frustrated. The anxiety was overwhelming. Um, questioning myself too. Is this really real? Like, or is it all in my head? But the more I educated myself, the more I was able to understand. I call it DIY Lyme, like do-it-yourself Lyme. And that's what I did. I started to follow other people and do what they were doing. I changed my diet. I took gluten out. I took dairy out. I took everything good out, um, which became a struggle as a single mom because I'm now feeding my kids something and I have to make something special for myself. Not to mention anything that's healthy for you is a lot more expensive than all the shit foods. Excuse my language. It became a struggle. It became a struggle to try because I, I noticed that what I was eating was affecting me. I noticed when I was at work, if I had a three days long of doing facials, it would kill me. So 
all of that I was trying to manage. My chemical intake, the foods I was eating, not overdoing it, um, all while sounding like a hypochondriac to the people around me. Do you know what I mean? Like I do. So, so, so the, the participation in the Lyme community puts you in a position where you find models and you start yes. modeling the people who are having success. Exactly. You're reading books like, you know, like uh, Biden from mean, Ali Hilfiger and you're starting, you're starting to model. You're listening to podcasts and you're yes. starting to model, right? Things are starting to happen and it starts to have a positive impact on your health. And that's fantastic. Yes. Talk to us about the dark side of social media. Did you see any dark side to social yes. media and yes. you're participating in it and, and yes. support groups and were any, any so a lot positive of the, and negative pieces there? Yes. So some support groups um, are very negative. They live in and they dwell in the negative of Lyme rather than finding new strengths or new hopes or new ways to cope. They just complain and complain and complain. And I'm in some of those groups and I listen and Anytime you wanted to give somebody advice, for example, I was trying this hemp oil at one point and it was helping for a couple of weeks. My energy had got back up again. I noticed the difference. So I mentioned it in the group. Hey, I'm trying this new hemp oil. Da, 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 da. They came after me like I was a representative for the company trying to sell to chronically ill people. They attacked me. They had my post taken off. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just trying to help. As somebody with the same disease as you, they were angry. It was an angry group of people. And I see that. And what impact did that have, Bettina, what impact did that have on you? You're, you're on your own health journey. You're not, not feeling good. Well. I was discouraged. I was disappointed. I was scared that I was going to end up like them, you know, mad well, at the world. One of the things we've talked about on this podcast, Dina, is that um, when you get sick, and you become chronically ill, there is a grief cycle, right? Grief is a part of the process, right? And depending on where you are in the grief cycle, you're going to behave differently, right? So the grief cycle begins with denial, where you're denying that you're sick and you're denying there's anything wrong and you're denying that you have to do anything and you can just sort of grit through it, right? And then right. the second step in the, grief, uh, in the grief cycle is going to be anger. You're gonna be angry, you're gonna be mad, it's gonna piss you off, right? And, yeah. and, and, and if you're at that stage in the journey and you're participating in social media, you're probably gonna be triggering, right, to other yeah. people. Then we get to the point, the third step is gonna be sadness and that sadness could roll over into depression. And if you have people who are sad and depressed and they are now participating in social media, because that's where they are in the cycle, that's not going to be good for anyone else. We get to the next step, which is going to be bargaining, right? Where we're, we're promising that if we get better, we are going to save the world and God just helped me to get better and I will be a better person and I'm going yep. to make up all the things I did wrong, right? <laughs> yeah. And then we get to acceptance, right? And it's really not until we get to acceptance that we can begin to heal and certainly help others to heal because that's when we create something new, right? right. So one of the things that we have to keep in mind when we're participating in, in these support groups is that different people are going to be at different stages of the grief cycle. And because they're going to be in different stages of the grief cycle, they're not always going to be helpful to you. And more importantly, they're not always going to be receiving the help you're trying to offer in a way that's going to be helpful to you. So we always have to be careful about when we're participating in, in support groups, where we are in our journey to make sure that it's not triggering to us and it's not going to cause us to have a relapse or have us to fall back into a deeper portion of the grief cycle. So talk to me about that and, and, and whether or not perhaps that's what you were witnessing when you were participating in these, um, in these groups. 
Yes. I would, it put me into a little bit of a, well, I would say a big depression. Definitely. Um, the anger of people, the hopelessness of some people, um, people that were saying they were battling it for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I remember hearing a man say that he was diagnosed with HIV 20 years ago and had not one symptom until he was bit by a tick. And it's scary. It's you feel like your life is over. I felt like that was it. Any dream that I had of being successful in my own right as a single mother was just taken away. There was no way I was going to be able to provide for my family as disabled as I was. Not to mention, I'm the type of person where I'm, I was a doer, a multitasker. I was somebody that people looked to um, as inspiration. I always was like a big sister. And here I was a shell of who I used to be. And that was so depressing. And that's what you were grieving, right? I mean, you, you yeah. lost that identity, right? When, you... Yeah, I lost my identity. Exactly. Yeah. So talk to us about now, let's stay with your doctors a, a little bit more. So after the doctor in Riverhead has failed you, what, what do you do next? You said you had a holistic doctor and, and what so type I, of holistic doctor was it? And, and, and what did he or she or they do? He for was you? a wellness uh, specialist. His name was Tim over here in Smithtown, New York. He treated a lot of people with fibromyalgia, Lyme disease. He himself said he had Lyme disease and treated it. Do I think it's a little bit of a money scam? I don't know. I mean, he had me holding up my arms and then holding up a bottle of supplements in the other arm and he would try and push my arm down. I was like, what? I, I didn't get it. <laughs> but yeah, he diagnosed me again with Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr virus and Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Gave me $700 worth of supplements to take and sent me home. And I just kept getting sicker. Nothing was helping. It was getting, and he would say, just get through the Hercs and you'll be, you'll be okay. But the Hercs wasn't going away. It was just, con it was like I lived in a constant Hercs reaction. Now, when the doctor told you to get through the Hercs, did the doctor, the holistic doctor say, perhaps we needed to back off a little bit on, on, no. the, on the killing no. of the, of the no, microbes? No, he would just give me a new supplement. The, give me the, a new supplement. The, the doctor talked to you at all about uh, detoxing and perhaps, yes. uh, perhaps what was happening was the volume of die-off was not, you know, was essentially causing it to become more toxic. And I think, again, because of the work that you do and the, and the toxicity level that you were necessarily going to have because of your work, right. I would think that you would have to be more gentle with the way that you were going to be going through the process of first detoxing, because you're going to have to detox. I'm sure you're full of heavy metals. Yeah. And, and secondly, you're going to have to be more gentle with what you're killing off because you're going to be adding to that level of toxicity. Anybody yeah. talk to you yeah. about that? He did tell me if I wanted to feel better and I wanted to somewhat beat this, I would have to find a new industry to work in. He was honest. He said, there's no way you're going to get healthy in toxic environment every single day. Plus they're going in. It's not just like a hairdresser where you're wearing gloves and you're applying. Everything was going into my hands, into my pores, into my bloodstream. And he was black and white about it. He said, you have to change your career. And that was devastating. And I didn't listen, unfortunately, because I didn't, I didn't know anything else. It was like, what do I do? Go back to school now and start all over again after I have worked this hard to 
you know, build up a clientele and all of it, just all of it was so devastating. So I tried to manage as best I could and it didn't work. <laughs> it still doesn't work. So Dina, with, with the type of work that you're doing, it's, it's pretty clear that unfortunately, one of, one of the challenges that women have, um, and, and again, so much of this is societal and culture, mm -hmm. but we, you know, we, we put such a high value on appearance, right? And it's such an important part of being a woman in our society. But at the same time, what we're doing is we're packing on all kinds of toxins on the women who are now trying to, you know, present in a certain way to have the status in our society uh, that our society demands. Right. So it's not only those of you who are applying it, but those of you who are using it are also finding themselves in this toxic soup. And, you know, one of the questions that I'm wondering about, and I'd like to ask Kelsey to weigh in on this as well, is do you think that's playing a role in the... Uh, the reason why so many of the people that we interview um, in the Lyme disease community are female. I mean, is it, do you think perhaps the level of chemicals that women are using yes. are making them more immunocompromised and yep. making women more vulnerable to Lyme disease? Yes. Hundred, 150% between the nails and the hair and the keratin treatments and the color, it's all so toxic. And women are taking in more toxins than men 150%. Well, and not to mention the chemicals and fragrances alone are hormone endocrine disruptors. Exactly. Well. Exactly. Which is another thing I was having a lot of issues with was my, you know, cycle every month. Well, I definitely, I definitely think it's important to limit our toxic exposure as much as possible. You know, yeah. try to use stuff with clean ingredients no one's perfect. We will right. never fully escape environmental toxins no. 100%, but it's important to limit them as much as possible. All right. So now I want to ask the young women on the podcast together another question. This is something that I put to guests a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if either of you watched the Netflix show, The Social Dilemma. I did. Uh, if, if you hadn't, I strongly urge you to. And what, what the Netflix documentary was arguing is that our society is radically being altered as a result of the social media companies taking the steps that they take to keep us um, essentially addicted to social media. And the impact yeah. that it's having on girls is substantially worse than it is having on boys. And it appears that girls are being targeted. So we have the situation where it's clear more women are suffering from chronic Lyme disease than men. That's just real. Yeah. It's clear women are swimming in a different toxic pool or different toxic soup than men mm -hmm. because of all the chemicals and the, and the, yeah. and, the and the beauty um, products. Yeah. And, and, the, the, and the beauty product. products. Right. But now we also have a very different social media experience and social media companies targeting girls differently than they're targeting boys and having a different experience. And again, that's clear from, from the social dilemma. What do you two think about the impact that the emotional stresses and the social stresses of social media are having on the immune system of girls and women and the impact that that's having on creating vulnerability for Lyme disease? Huh. That's a good question. I think women are, I think we are being thrown so much information at us through social media 
between the advertising and the influencers that we follow alone, um, you almost can't, it's overstimulation. Like she was saying, you get overstimulated and you follow, it's all about who you follow. Cause if you're following a certain group of people, you are going to be vulnerable and you're going to want to do what those people are doing because it's what you see every day. So for example, if I'm following a bunch of Lyme people and they're all negative, toxic Lyme people, that's the mindset I'm going to be in. If I follow a bunch of people on the bright side of Lyme who are healing and, and looking, you know, always sharing things that are helping them and are, are in a positive mindset of moving on and gaining strength, I could see a difference in myself. All right, so let's pause that for a second, Dina, right? Because what the social media companies will be doing is giving you more of what you're looking at because they're trying to keep you, right. they they're trying to keep your attention, right? right? So if you start looking at, at, at Lyme groups where there's a lot of negativity and the, and the algorithm is identifying that that's what you're looking at, guess what they're going to send you more of? And it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets exactly. worse, right? I mean, we, we can talk about the impact that it's having on political extremism, which is a different conversation, but right. just, a, just the impact that it's having on women and appearance and behaviors and, you know, the impact of women, uh, girls dating I mean, girls don't date anymore. You no. know, the, the, the impact of, you know, all kinds of topics that I think were really powerfully laid out there. So, so Kelsey, give us, give us your thoughts on the, on the impact that uh, social media is having on girls and young women and, uh, and their, their uh, immune system? I think it definitely keeps us in fight or flight. I think it keeps yeah. us stuck in fight or flight. I think it keeps us craving that dopamine, those mm -hmm. likes, that, that interaction. Um, so you definitely need to set boundaries. Um, you know, I'm pretty active on my social yeah. and I, I, started out sharing the raw yeah. nitty gritty of things, you know, the more negative side of Lyme, because that's what I was going through. And now that I'm healing, I'm, I'm gearing more towards the positive stuff. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes you just need to shut it off. I mean, I know of people, and I've done this every once in a while too, where the whole entire weekend, I will just delete the apps off my phone, mm -hmm. not deactivate my accounts or anything. Still keep them up. Just delete the apps on my phone because if it's constantly pinging you, pinging you, pinging you, I mean, that's, that's keeping you in that fight or flight response. And that's yeah. not healthy either. You cannot heal if you're stuck in fight or flight. So you need to detox the social media stuff as well. It's so exactly to. right. It's exactly right. You have to. And I learned that myself because I was in too much of a negative state on social media. And like you said, the algorithm just kept showing me more horrible quotes and more, you know, stories that I didn't want to see. Yeah. And you just need to, you need to be able to set those boundaries. Like, right. you know, this, the Lyme support groups, they're right. great in certain ways. They're not right. so great in certain ways. Right. And for me, it was triggering for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to leave the groups entirely because I wanted to be able to go to them and ask a question if needed, but I yeah. muted them from my newsfeed. That way I was not scrolling and seeing it all the time because, you know, when you're sick, you get in this loop, this mind loop of yeah. I'm, yeah. Sick. I'm, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. I'm and sick. if you see it 24 seven, mm -hmm. you're going to stay in that loop. Percent. I believe that wholeheartedly because once I changed up my following, the people I was following, my mindset started to change. I started to see the hope a little bit more. I started to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, 
I started the acceptance process, accepting this is it. This is what it's going to be. I'm not the same person I was before Lyme. I'm never going to be that person again, but I'm a different person and I could still be, you know, I feel like I was given Lyme to be able to go out and educate other people about it. And another thing about the social media is I find myself tagging people in certain informative um, posts. For example, I'll read a post about a girl my age, diagnosed with Lyme, going through the same kind of thing. And I'll send it over to my mom or to my sister. And I get no response. And that's discouraging. You know, you want to share the information with people, especially if it, it relates to you. Like a lot of times anything I send is because it relates to me. And I want my mom to see, look, this girl's going through the same thing, mom. Look, this girl is experiencing the same things I am. I'm not losing my mind. I'm not crazy. There's no I think I think as sad as it is, we can't force our newfound beliefs on other people. They're not going to get it until they get it. And I think all we can do is just sprinkle those seeds, just plant seeds here and there, hoping that one of them sticks. Exactly. So Dina, let's go back to now. Um, you, you have your, you have your, your treatment of doxy. You have your treatment of, of uh, erythromycin. Yeah. Right. You have your supplements with the, this new wellness doctor. Nothing's working. Um, what specifically, what was the wellness doctor giving you meaning? What herbs were you taking and what detox protocol? And do you believe that perhaps nothing was going to work so long as you were in this toxic soup? I think everything that he gave me was just kicking up the toxin. I wasn't drinking water properly and flushing out like I was supposed to. I mean, I wasn't doing everything I was supposed to be doing. I was still working in a toxic environment. So I was being counterproductive. It wasn't until I was introduced to Young Living Essential Oils is when I really started to see a difference. And what that was doing is the oils were combating the chemicals. And I was drinking them. I was putting them all over my body. They were helping me sleep. They were helping my brain function. They still are. They're crazy expensive. But there are a few oils that I use that have been lifesavers for me. So let's, let's focus on that for a minute. So how, how were you introduced to Young Living? I was introduced to Young Living by a client, came into the salon. She was selling it. She had MS. And that's what really made me listen to her little spiel was the fact that she was sick. You know, it's one thing for a healthy person to try to sell you some stuff. But when you see somebody really struggling and telling you that this works for them, you listen. So I spent the whatever it was, 250 to get the kit. And I got the ninja, these drinks that were pure wolfberry, very healthy. And I started- The energy drinks, yeah. A lot of folks in the community. The ninja, yeah. Um, I started to see a difference. That was really the only thing that started to work for me. I had completely stopped the supplements that I got from um, Tim in Smithtown. And I was just working with essential oils, doing the diet and trying to limit as much chemicals as I could. So I would say I kind of stabilized a little bit and I got myself to a point where, okay, this is how it's going to be forever. I just have to maintain and I won't get so sick all the time. So like if I'm going to go on a trip or travel, 
I have to take the next day when I get there and I have to rest. I had to redo my whole life and everything I did. But the essential oils helped me to sleep better. They really helped with the anxiety. Um, once a month when we get our monthly friend, it's very bad for people with Lyme disease, women with Lyme disease during that month. I mean, the symptoms are just horrendous. So I would take baths in the oils and it would help. I mean, nothing takes it away. Nothing takes it away, but they help. So and Dina, what, what oils are you using and when are you using? So give, okay. give us the specific oils and how you're using them and when you're using them. Okay, so I use vetiver, which is a culmination of lavender and a couple other things. It's, everything is Young Living. Okay. I don't so, know if you've heard of Young Living. Yes. Okay. So, so, the, so, so vetiver is one of the oils you're using and how are you using it and when are you using it? Anxiety at night. I diffuse it next to my bed. I also put some drops underneath my foot. Then I use brain power, which is a little bottle like this and it's $80 <laughs> for this little tiny bottle. And that I diffuse during the day, also put a little bit under my foot. I notice I can articulate a little bit more. I'm a little bit more alert and awake. Um, I can focus a little bit better. I see the difference without them. So I use the brain power, I use the vetiver, and I use immunoflex. And immunoflex? Immunoflex, I-M-M-U-N-O-flex. Another very expensive one but that helps me combat every time these kids are sick, which is constant because they're kids and I get sick because of them. But my sick is a lot worse. I've gotten COVID three times, wait, which is also, uh, I had COVID longer than the average person had COVID. And I started to get really weird symptoms after COVID. Paranoia, something I've never experienced before. And it lasted for about, oh God, three, four weeks. I got diagnosed with COVID. The kids had it. We all had it at the same time. They got better. I was still sick. After I started to feel a little bit better, I had this crazy paranoia. I can't describe it. Like everyone was like out to get me. It was the craziest experience. But I read in an article a few other people, immunocompromised people after COVID complained of the same kind of symptoms. Yeah. Did you hear of that? Yes, yes, we have many times. And, and look, we, we've also heard that, you know, of course, many people get paranoid uh, when they're Lyme disease because it's a part of, you know, people who are suffering from neurological Lyme. Some people have argued that Bartonella makes it more likely that you will have those types of those types of um, those types of symptoms. So um, we we interviewed uh, Colonel Malakowski, who is you know one of the one of the we we, we did a, a, a podcast with her, which we entitled um, um, oh, what the heck is it? The Top Gun. And uh, I mean, she, you know, she's the first Thunderbird pilot in U.S. history, first female Thunderbird pilot, and she ended up losing her career over Lyme disease. And it actually was the Bartonella that she treated that ultimately helped her through the mental health issues. And, and there was a lot of discussion on our social media about the role Bartonella plays. I, I can tell you that there are some doctors such as Dr. Cameron and said, well, let's, let's, let's not be so sure that it's Bartonella because um, you know, Lyme, the Lyme bacteria itself could cause a lot of these same types of mental health 
symptoms. So we, you know, there is a lot of conversation in the community. So it could have been that the. That's interesting that you say that because I was, when I was diagnosed with the blood work, just Lyme, Rocky Mountain and Epstein-Barr came up. But when I went to the holistic practitioner, he diagnosed me with Bartonella. I never paid too much attention to it, but could that be? Absolutely. And, and, and so, so you just don't deal the, the problem is when you're, when you're dealing with, you know, all of the different types of immunocompromise that you're dealing with, mm -hmm. you just don't know what is ultimately going to be the most aggressive pathogen when you're immunocompromised. You know, right. a lot of people, a lot of people are dealing with their Epstein-Barr. Now they didn't get that from the tick, yeah. but the Lyme disease compromised their immune system and the Epstein-Barr takes over, right? And it takes off, right? So yeah. it could have been that, that you were, you were having your mental health symptoms from the COVID, or it could be that COVID, because you were so immunocompromised, because your immune system was focusing on the COVID, right. the Bartonella took off, and the Bartonella took off, and now you're having the mental health symptoms. It could be any of those, you know, those kinds of things, which is why we have to sort of go through this unpeeling of the onion when we're going through the healing. And I'll let Kelsey talk a little bit about that because she's now in the process of unpeeling the onion where she's using SOT to sort of like take one one level off the onion. She took the level off the onion and now another pathogen is, you know, is making her sick. Oh my God. How yeah, do you and it's also not uncommon. I mean, throughout my journey, I have testing done at the very least every six months. Okay. And it's not uncommon. Just recently I had testing done where I tested positive for two new species of Borrelia that I had never tested positive for previous. And I've been going through this for three years now. So it's not uncommon as one thing goes away and another thing might show up. That's what happened with the Rocky Mountain. When I started treating the Lyme, all of a sudden my next round of blood work came back Rocky Mountain spotted fever. I, it was almost like a, I couldn't even believe it myself. I'm like, how is this happening? How am I getting these infections? But it's it heartbreaking too. It is. It is. And nobody really understanding. That's been the most difficult for me is the lack of support. Well, but Tina, you know, one of the things we should also talk about is, um, is that Lyme disease is not a disease that affects the person who has the pathogen. It also affects the people who love them. Right. And yeah. there's two pieces to this. You know, we, we interviewed uh, uh, two of the experts on the alpha gal um, uh, uh, allergy. And mm -hmm. one of the things that they were very you know, passionate about is making sure that we first find people that we can support each other with when we are going through this journey, people who have the disease and people who can who can support you. And then taking the next step and making sure that we are sympathetic to the pain and empathetic to the pain that our loved ones are suffering and find ways of helping them to help us, right? But it, we can't come at it from the standpoint of they have the duty to do something. It's that we have to be, we have to have a, you know, a, a sympathetic heart and understand that they're in pain too. And they're not always going to respond the way we want them to respond because they're in pain. Right. And, uh, and that may be a mindset change that you may want to consider in interacting with some of the people who aren't as understanding as you need them to be. Horrible. And then what they said is after you, after you take the, the step of talking with the people who are closest to you, you then need to, of course, you need to train your larger social circle so they understand what your needs are. And in their case, of course, they could go into anaphylactic shock if they're around a mammal product, right? So they can't go to a barbecue and have 
you know, all kinds of burgers thrown on the barbecue, right? They need to let the larger community of people that they're interfacing with know what their needs are. So I think that's a really important part of the skill set we need to develop in the Lyme community so that we can get the support we need because we understand that you can't defeat this disease on its own, right? One of the things that Dr. Biroscano, who I had mentioned earlier in this podcast, who we interviewed um, last year, said that when he was, when he was uh, a, a treating doctor, if you didn't move, you wouldn't get better. You needed to have movement in order to be able to get better. Not rigorous exercise because cardiovascular exercise will reduce your T-cell count. Not rigorous anaerobic exercise because you're a part of the gym culture and you're working out too hard. That's also going to be immunocompromising. But if you don't move, you won't get better. And one of the things that Matt and I have done sort of as following up on that is if you don't have social support, you're not getting better, right? Because there's going to be times when you're just not, you're in fight or flight, so you can't think. There'll be times when you're dealing with emotional symptoms or you're dealing with mental health symptoms where you are. You need someone to be there who can listen to the doctors and not just advocate for us, but, you know, be the, be our ears so that they can, you know, download to us the things. Yeah. Like, we need a support system yeah. where you're not going to get better. But, but here's the, here's the key, Dean. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying to you that now that you know, you need that, then perhaps what you, what, what we need to do as a community is we need to figure out how we can, help the people who have to help us and have a he, you know have a have an understanding heart for what they're going through so that once we understand what they're going through maybe they can help us to understand what we're going through Kelsey what do you, what do you think about that yeah definitely commuting communicating your needs is necessary mm-hmm. and i like you Dina i had so much anger towards my loved ones in my life who at first just didn't get it and i had the same attitude i was like they don't get it they're supposed to love me. Why is nobody stepping up? And then I really had to think about it and be like, well, you know, I need to directly ask people because a lot of the times, if you just kind of put it out there, like, Hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Yada, yada. A certain type of people of person will step up and be like, Hey, what can I do for you? Mm. But a lot of the times illness makes people uncomfortable. Exactly. And they don't know how to respond to it. So by you saying, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And this is one thing that you could do for me that really would help and like hand it to them on a silver yeah. platter. Yeah. While also being empathetic to the fact that your loved ones are grieving the loss of the old you as well. They're grieving that. Like I, I went through that with my husband as well. I was, he was really just part of it was kind of like denial. Like he didn't yeah. want to, what I deal he, with my family. He didn't denial. want to see the love of his life as sick as she was. It was denial. And he went through the grief, grief process as well. So yeah. definitely being empathetic to that and, and communicating your needs directly with certain people. Um, that's been my biggest struggle has been finding support. Um, even like I said, with my own family, it's, they don't want to believe it. They live in denial. Um, they, I, they roll their eyes at me. I'm a hypochondriac. I don't even complain anymore to them because it's so devastating and it makes me angry. I, that's the emotion that I get. I get anger, anger for their ignorance. They always have an answer to answer me back with when I say something. And when I talk, I, when I speak about actual things, like even if I say about the, the issues with the doctors, they look at me like I'm nuts. Like, 
like I'm a conspiracy theorist all of a sudden. And I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. Doctors are being run out of their practices because they are treating people with chronic Lyme or they're acknowledging chronic Lyme to begin with. I'm not believed. I'm just not believed. That's so doctor- one, one of the things we've heard from folks that we've done podcast interviews with in the past is that when they've had family members listen to their podcast episode, it's been so. helpful. I hope so. Another thing that we've heard from podcast guests is when they've asked family members to listen to podcast episodes with doctors who we've interviewed, Dr. Bill Rawls, for example, um, Dr. Dr. Joseph Uroscano, Dr. Alan McDonald. These, again, Long Islanders, Dina. And, and, and if, you, if you have your family members listen to some of those podcasts from very credible people, right. you know, internationally renowned doctors, yeah. you'll yeah. start to see that perhaps there will be some growth from the people who are now listening to these, you know, the, these leading national and international figures. Even the ones so, in denial? <laughs> yeah, no, no. So, Dina, what, one of the, another one of the things that we've discovered on this podcast is many of our listeners are actually family members of people who had Lyme disease. And we didn't know that, right? I mean, we, we, we just didn't know, you know we, we, we have some data on the people who are listening to these podcasts. And of course, we look at our numbers and we look at how, how, um, you know, how much of every episode people are listening to. And so we know geographically where they are, their gender, their age. But we didn't know that so many of the listeners of our podcast are actually family members of people who are on the journey because they're trying to get the information that they need. They're trying to cut through everything. Well, they want to understand. I fight with them. They don't even want to understand it. I mean, I gave my mom that book, Bite Me by Allie Hilfiger a year and a half ago. It's still sitting on her mantle. Like a, yeah, I mean, there definitely, there definitely has to be a want on their side as well. I, I definitely understand that. I'm done forcing it. help, but I agree with what Rich says too. You know, if they're open, if if they're at least open to listening, what helped my mom, my dad, and my husband understand in the beginning of my illness was listening to Tick Boot Camp along with watching the documentary Under Our Skin, because that really helps put things into perspective. You see um, them stuff like books take time to read and yeah, exactly yeah aren't always readers but a movie or a podcast um are, are easily digestible yeah because there's a movie out now um what is the new called? one the monster inside me no it's with alec baldwin um not kim cattrall the other one from sex in the city cynthia nixon um Oh, I did watch that. I, I can't yeah. remember the name of it, but it I did watch that. It just basically follows around two families that are struggling struggling with somebody with Lyme disease. One of the families, the father has chronic Lyme disease. The other family, the young kid gets bit. So you see the beginning of somebody getting Lyme, and then you see somebody who's been battling it their whole life. And it's like just a peek inside the life. And I even begged them to watch that. I'm like, Alec Baldwin is in it. Watch it. There's just no desire. And I think it comes from a place of they don't really want to know how sick I am. Because once they know, then they have to deal with it. And they, they have, have to grieve and, and digest it. So, exactly. You know, hopefully, hopefully your parents will 
you know, come around to being more open to it and, you know, just yeah. the things that you've learned today and, you know, listen. Well, that's the issues I struggle when, when my parent, when my sister, um, my kids go there, I'm like, mom, I don't want them in the backyard. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I'm like, no, I'm not well, going to send them here. You, you yes. You as a parent and you as an individual have to set those boundaries for yourself. But I get ridiculed. Like it's almost, I'm looked at like I'm, I'm crazy because I won't let them go in the backyard. I'm crazy because I can't eat the pasta on Sunday with the meatballs. I need gluten-free pasta. It's like, they look at me like I'm not normal. And I have pulled away because of that. I've isolated myself with my kids because I can't take the disappointment. I can't take, it's so disappointing that there's no, I definitely, you know, I, I sympathize with you 100% because I dealt with the same thing in the beginning with my family, but I definitely want to know, I want to kind of turn this around. Mm -hmm. So I want to know, you know, through suffering, we can learn a lot of things. Yeah. And you can have these amazing realizations, epiphanies, mm-hmm. spiritual awakenings um, yeah. that you probably wouldn't have had otherwise if you didn't yeah. go through an experience like this. Yeah. So I want to know what is one beautiful realization that this journey has taught you? Meditation has been a lifesaver. I would have never delved into the world of meditation had I not been sick. Um, it took a while to work, but it was dedicated. I was dedicating myself every single day to it. And after about a year and a half, I started to see huge difference, not only in my awareness, um, in my anxiety, in dealing with other people, in my reactivity. I wasn't so reactive of people. I had a lot more patience. Meditation has really, oh, and frequencies. I don't know if you know anything about sound frequencies. Mm-hmm. at night, I listen to them in my sleep. I put headphones in and I listen to, for example, 528 hertz is a frequency of love. These are all sounds you can listen to at night that lift the frequency in your body. So you this know, realization, like, you you feel as though you've become more aware of- I've become more aware, more calmer, more empathetic. Um, I have- meditation has changed me. It really has changed. Meditation is definitely a great tool. It can can help you get out of fight or flight. It can help you calm your nervous system. Um, so now I understand, you know, you're, you're still not at 100%. Um, you know, but you, you do feel like you're, you're kind of on the other side of things a bit. Yeah. So now that you're on the other side of things, um, how are you being called to use these new realizations to help other people in the Lyme or chronic illness community? Um, okay. So I stopped doing facials really completely because it was just counterproductive. And I delved into the world of meditation and crystals, believe it or not, healing crystals. Um, I started planting more and that has become my outlet. And now it's turned into a small business for me. And you share that with other people. Yeah. And, and people are buying my designs, my plants, my crystals, and I try to spread awareness through them when I'm explaining to them why I use this specific crystal for whatever reason, it always goes back to Lyme disease and how I'm able, and it's all to help with your mental. It really is. I mean, the crystals are not 
helping me physically. <laughs> They're not taking the pain away, but they are lifting my vibrations a little bit. They're helping me cope daily, giving me something to do that I enjoy that doesn't put me at risk. Um, I've been working with succulents because they're not in the ground. I don't have to worry about getting bit by a tick. I can work with plants because I love gardening. Love, love, love gardening. And with the succulents, you don't have to put your hands so much in the ground. You just deal with them in the pots. And I've been able to make that a small business. I have a spot in the Walt Whitman Mall where I sell stuff. And all of that through my social media, I try to bring awareness to Lyme disease. Most recently, when my son was bit, I think there needs to be somebody that goes to the schools on this island and right. educates the teachers and the students mm -hmm. online and ticks because there is no education. I agree. And, you know, no. there actually are programs that are trying to get that implemented in schools. Um, two specifically that I know of, Rich, you may have known more, but I know of um, the LEAF program. Um, okay. They, they go out and teach children in a fun and educational way how to do tick checks, all that kind of stuff, um, in the Tick Jedi program. And I know, I believe the Tick Jedi program, their mission is to get this implemented into health curriculum. I mean, I don't understand so, if the police department can go to the school and, and educate them yeah. on vaping. Why can't it's I definitely, go to It's definitely an important topic. And you as yeah. a mother, that's something you could definitely... Yeah get involved in as well. I mean, you can, you can call these programs, get some more information yeah. on what they do. I would love to go from school, school at the schools. School. That's what I've done personally. I haven't got it implemented in our County yeah. yet, but yeah. you know, it, you have to put it out there yeah. um, because they're responsible for your children's education, yeah. but so are you. And you if I, I want other well. mothers. Yeah. I want other mothers to be educated on this because yeah it's a matter of saving their children from a lifelong disease. Yeah, it's definitely important. And, you know, because of everything that you've been through, one beautiful thing that's come from this is your kids, I'm sure are so tick aware now. They They're know, they are woke. Um, so woke that's right. My last question, if a loved one came to you with a tick biting them, what would you recommend they do so they would not have to face the suffering caused by chronic Lyme disease? automatically start treatment ASAP the doxy because that's what it is the faster you get it the, the better you are because it's a it's a corkscrew like bacteria that screws its way into your blood your tissue your muscles your brain so if you think about the medicine going in quickly that corkscrew doesn't get in there that deep kind of pulls it out so I would say, like I did with my son when he was bit on the head last week, we started him immediately on Doxy. You cannot wait even a minute. You have to immediately start treatment. So immediately seek out a, a doctor that will prescribe antibiotics. Immediately, yes. Whether you, yeah. whether you know the tick was carrying Lyme or not, you just should as just a do it. Just as a precaution, yes. Yes. Well, Dina, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I'm excited to see where this new chapter in life brings you and best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Dina Benedetto. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Dina, please visit her on Instagram at 
zencollective.ny. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com forward slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 250 episodes for specific keywords, subscribe to our email list or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you as always for listening.